sent the same to humiliate Jesus in public dispute regarding what they thought was a fairly absurd question, one that the Lord in his mind, the God of all things, certainly could not underscore with any authority or even tolerance the confusion in heaven over whose wife this would be, if there should be a resurrection. Well, the Pharisees and the Herodians had failed. And Jesus, in that dispute, as you recall, had alluded to a resurrection. Even in the parable of the wicked tenants, uh, there the story goes that the Lord had sent them uh, servants, meaning prophets, all the, all the Old Testament prophets. Finally, he sent his son. And, uh, of course, they, they cast the son outside and they killed him. But immediately the Lord uh, extends the application of that parable when the Pharisees objected to that treatment of the son, the Lord upheld Psalm 118. Have you not heard that the, 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 the stone that the builders had rejected had become the chief stone, the cornerstone? This is the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in his eyes. And so we see there an illusion that the one that they had rejected, killed in the parable of the tenants, actually had been exalted, raised up. And that is the teaching of the resurrection. Now that might have raised the, the, the it, must, it must have irritated, it must have irritated the Sadducees because they, that's one of their key tenets of their, of their sect, of their, uh, of, their, uh, of their little party. All right. And so they try their, their hand at another dispute with evil motives and with motives not to glorify God and his truth, but to glorify their own cause and their own reputation. The teaching here this morning is this, that the ignorance of Scripture combined with no faith in the absolute power of God will have even God's covenant people overlooking basic biblical truth, such as the resurrection from the dead. Let me just say it again. If you don't know your Scriptures... You don't believe in the power of God, the absolute, almighty, infinite power of God. That's what we mean by power. His power is not limited. He's God. If you don't believe, if you don't know the scriptures and you don't believe that God is God, even God's own people will be apt to overlook the most basic of all doctrines, even such a one as we have here, the resurrection from the dead. I want you to take that home and think about it. I think if you do that, you'll be able to find your own application. But I'll help you here this morning. In verses 23 through 28, we see this, that Jesus' enemies will try to discredit him by using absurd arguments against the resurrection. They'll come up with all kinds of things, as the Sadducees have. You know, the Sadducees were an important religious uh, sect, they had their following, they had, they had their schools, they had their zeal, they had, they had learning. They had learning. The Sadducees were biblical liberals of their day, however. They were, <laughs> they were progressives. They, they, took, they took some liberties, and they were known as the pragmatists. If something could not be useful in this life by the teachings, yeah, they, 
they tended to say, well, that's very nice, but it's a pie in the sky by and by. They needed something that was more tangible. They needed something that was more, uh, something you can touch and hold and see. Uh, of course, the things that are seen are, are all going to be shaken. It's faith that, that, that with, uh, with spiritual eyes are able to see the invisible. Uh, that's the whole narrative, my friend, of the Bible. God himself is a spirit and he's invisible. Nothing practical about God in his essence. He's altogether above all created matter. So there were practices, and so they believed that there really was no afterlife, no, no, no eternality of the soul. The soul is, is with us, and when we die, it flies back somewhere, and it's gone, and its life is gone. And so the resurrection from the dead, they would regard as beyond the scriptures. It's a little bit like many, many people today who... Uh, claim themselves as academics. They have they are degreed and they they belong to uh, important institutions throughout the world. But they are very unsure of anything regarding Jesus' physical historical resurrection, and hence our own <laughs> physical historical resurrection on the last day. I mean, a liberal in that sense continues to be somewhat of the same stripe today. A liberal is a liberal. The Sadducees knew that God could not contradict himself. And so they weren't, they weren't completely abandoned of all logic, okay? It's, and in, their very, in the very case that they bring to Jesus, they show their interest in some kind of, uh, of pattern of truth. They present a plausible case to Jesus of an apparent contradiction. And we know, and they knew that God does not, it's impossible. It's impossible that God should contradict himself. He knows all things and holds all things, and not as we do uh, in terms of syllogisms uh, with a major proposal, a minor proposal, and a conclusion. No, he, the Lord sees all things in one intuitive moment, in all possible things, even things that are not and have never been created. He sees all things all at once in intuition, and so he, he will certainly never fall into a contradiction, never. The purpose then was to uh, probably twofold, to, to, to prove that the Sadducees, you know, they were the people. Uh, they were the standard. They, they, they were the, the ones that had it together, the Orthodox. And then also to prove that Jesus was a false teacher. And if they could shame him publicly and, and show that he was teaching absurdities, that would be the quickest route. It would be to discredit his ministry. His followers would just say, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, boy, that, he, he didn't do so well in that, in that public debate, did he? You know, you know how that goes. Um, he wanted to, they wanted to discredit his ministry. Now, I want you to understand the, back, the background to the case that is, is cited here by the, Sadduce, the Sadducees. It involves what's called the Liberate uh, uh, Law. And the Liberate Law is, uh, is commanded by God as part of the civil law of Israel. It was binding to, it was binding to Israel as a church underage. And, the, and the, the civil law took uh, the kernel of the moral law, the Ten Commandments, and applied it in specific cases. And this case, I think the Lord was uh, wanting to ensure a godly seed continuing in Israel, as Israel was the nation that was to, was to continue before God by his blessing. And especially, my friends, 
the line of Judah that would bring about Messiah, that would be, uh, of course, enabled by such a, a commandment and such a teaching. So the Liberate, the Liberate uh, uh, commandment, you can look that up later, you've got side notes in your Bible. The civil law commanded the remaining brothers of a deceased brother to marry his childless widow uh, in order to continue this family line for the sacred seat, for the glory of the promises of God. Now, you know, to us in America today, we've got some married people that just celebrated their marriage last week. This sounds like a very unusual commandment, I know. And uh, you're kind of hoping that, you know, that Vega is not uh, theonomic to the extent of theocratic that he's going to apply hard on this. And I'm not. <laughs> I'm not at all. I'm not going to apply this rule at all. The, the rule is wholly abrogated uh, with, with Israel being cut off as a covenant people of God. However, the Sadducees were still under that law. And Jesus was still under this law. And so he needed to explain it. Uh, the, the problem here, uh, as presented by these Sadducees, is that if all the brothers and the one woman are resurrected from the dead. Okay, now we've got seven men. We've got one wife. They're all resurrected. They've got their bodies back. They knew that the resurrection involved, it was a bodily resurrection. They knew that, at least in the proposed doctrine, which they considered false. If all the brothers and the one woman are resurrected, indeed, from the dead, who would she belong to in the future life? Now, the Sadducees understood by that arrangement that that, that would be confusion. That would somehow amount to some kind of jealousy or strife. Uh, certainly it was abnormal. It was not the original intent by creation. Why should something in the eternal state uh, be so contradictory to the, prim the, the, primal, the primordial uh, state in the creation? The first intention uh, of a matter uh, should complement very soundly with the final end of the matter. And in fact... Uh, would present a strong case that, that things did not conclude properly if initiated in those, under this arrangement, one wife and one, one husband, that it wound up with a confused uh, order in the, in the other. But, uh, you know, they knew that God in eternity would bring order. Uh, the, the world fell into disorder. Maybe they understood some of this, some, some of this disorder because they were interested in, in practical matters and practical things or applied wisdom to bring out the good out of whatever has gone wrong. Uh, but God in eternity brings order out of chaos and not this situation. So the Sadducees thought it was, their argument was really uh, without, without any loopholes. I'll use a word I'll teach you. I'm learning English all the day long because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not American born. And I like the word irrefragable. It just means that you just can't take it apart. You cannot, this argument is solid. There, there are no loose ends here. And they really thought they had a tight case against Jesus. And so they argued here against the resurrection, presenting an absurd case, or so they thought. Besides, my friends, here we have a bit of what we call the hermeneutic of Scripture, how we come to understand the, the laws governing the, the understanding of, of the Scriptures, the hermeneutic. How are we going to understand the scriptures? Well, the hermeneutic of the resurrection is important to note because the, the, the resurrection is not, is not expressly taught or directly taught. It's not directly taught in scripture. You can't go to a, a, a chapter and verse and say this is an absolute case and there are various other cases that, uh, that they are taught. Now, in a cardinal, in a cardinal doctrine, such as Jesus is presenting, don't you think that there will be 
a whole lot of other things that would point to that and would be proof to that in the Sadduce- uh, for the Sadducees and for the whole of Israel. Now, the Pharisees saw enough that they really did believe in the resurrection. And the reading uh, this morning from John, uh, Martha, <laughs> Martha, Martha knew and understood firmly that there would be a resurrection from the dead. So it's not the learned, my friends. The Lord can, can, uh, can reveal these things to, to the innocents and even babes and confound the lives of, of many academics, many professors, many intellectuals. The resurrection was, however, indirectly taught, but we can sense this, and I'll be quoting some scripture as to how we can, we can see that that wasn't the case. Now, my friends, um, you know, the Sadducees, in coming to Jesus, didn't do wrong. We have every incentive to wrestle with God. We had Jacob receiving a new name because he, he, he hung in there with God and wrestled with God. He, he didn't understand that he was sitting in a place called Bethel. That was a very house of God. He didn't know that the blessing was there. And when he woke up, he anointed the rock. And he established a, a place of memorial because... God had visited him, and he wrestled with God. He strove against God and his angel, and he was successful. We can, we can come to God. We can, we, can, we can complain to him, as it were. What, does, what are you saying to me here? I remember picking up a Bible when I was first Christian and reading the Sermon on the Mount. And I, I understood what the Lord was saying. He was, he was saying what's required is absolute perfection. There's no diminution of the, of the strength of the law materially in the Christian life. I thought, this is an impossible burden. Until I presented the case and I argued with it, and the Lord was gracious to show me that he, he provides that, that, righteous, that righteousness freely by faith in his, his righteous Son. That righteousness is imputed to us. It's given to our account when we come and receive the Lord Jesus as the righteous one of God. And so that is, my friends, is the gospel. The gospel also tells us that he gives us his spirit so that we can begin a life advancing in perfection. Never, never giving up the hope of, of perfection, of all the teaching of God. Even the Sermon on the Mount, we should never turn our, aside from that ideal because in a flash... In an instant, we will be changed at the resurrection and we will have that righteousness forever. And that's perfectly, perfectly compatible with God's law. Anyway, I'll just give you an example of coming to Jesus and wrestling with him. But my friends, not as the Sadducees did. When we wrestle with God in scriptures, the first thing we need is faith and patience. Well, the Lord might answer us even before we have our question. Have you ever seen that? Eh. You just pondered something, you forgot about it, and the next day or you know, next week it comes up in your reading. It's, oh, the Lord has, has read my mind. He, he knew that I was striving with this, and now he's given me the answer. And wow, you can thank him for that. But these Sadducees have something else in mind. And even at the refute, as we'll say, they, they didn't... They didn't cherish Jesus' wisdom. They didn't, they didn't love his teaching. And they certainly didn't uh, bring their lives in accordance with its necessary, its necessary consequences. But I love what Augustine has to say in all these matters. 
The Lord teaches us much, some things difficult to understand, unprincipled and uh, uh, unregenerate men will twist to their own advantage. But Augustine said this, he said, we are to believe the Lord, that is to say, receive his word warmly and, and lovingly. We believe in order to understand. And not, not vice versa. We're not going to, we're not going to uh, believe only that which we understand. If we seek to understand first, we will, well, he, the Lord is gracious. He, he will lead us by every means and even against our own means. But as for us, we are to receive these unusual teachings of Christ by faith and rest that he, he's, he's shown himself faithful in so many other, in so many other ways. Okay, let's, let's, okay, resurrection. Okay, I'm, I'm with you. Believe in order to understand and not vice versa. Pray, wait for clarity. And he will do it. James says, if you ask for wisdom, he'll give it. Simple, unqualified. He will do it. So Jesus' enemies then will try to discredit him by using absurd arguments against the resurrection. The second point is that Jesus defends or affirms the resurrection and finds the root cause of his enemies' error. And I will correct that right now. I'll say his enemies' heresy. Because this is beyond a, a fault. This is beyond a, a mere gloss in, uh, in understanding the scriptures. This is, this is a, a fault. What I mean is a, it's, a, it's an abyss. It's a hole. If you fall in here, uh, I don't see how you can, I, I don't see how you can recover without a, a, a real trust in Christ, the resurrected Lord. It, it is, your faith is in vain. In verse 29, however, we see, in beginning there, we see Jesus' answer. You're wrong, he says. Oh, damn, that stings, doesn't it? Again, Jesus is showing authority. What Jesus is demonstrating here is the, the whole contest in the, uh, in the 22nd chapter of Matthew about why Jesus has come riding into Jerusalem in a cult, why is he, he's upset the, 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 the tables and the money changers, why he's arranged in Luke, uh, I, think in, yeah, I think it's in Luke that, that announces he, he made a, a whip of cords and, and just flogged everybody out of there. What, what is this madman doing? It's a matter of authority. And that's the first question that was, by, by what authority do you do these things? So Jesus, in his own authority, says, you are wrong. And here's why you're wrong. You neither know the scriptures nor the power of God. And then he explains the doctrine of the resurrection. Jesus then affirms, defends the, uh, the resurrection and finds the root cause of his enemy's heresy. And the way he answers... And, and again, I want to establish that this is a cardinal, a foundational, a basic teaching. All basic teachings must affirm the truth of God's person or essence in a way. That's why every Christian heresy has its error in some bad view of Jesus himself. The early church history is full of heresy, and their most pernicious ones were all Christological. Well, in the Old Testament, this would mean that the maximum errors have to do with who God is in his essence himself. And the, 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 the answer, the, the rebuttal, the, the reply that Jesus gives us is by mentioning the most basic teaching of the Old Testament itself. The name of God. 
I am Jehovah. Given in Exodus 3, 6, as he introduces himself to Moses as the, the God of Abraham, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he therefore, after that, consistently calls himself in the scriptures by the power of the Holy Spirit and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, I am, or Jehovah or Yahweh, the tetragram in Hebrew. It's all over. You, can just, you can't miss this. It's all over. In writing this, you know, we, we have to understand that Moses lived hundreds of years after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 400 and something years after that. And yet Jehovah says, I am, not I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And somehow, again, mysteriously, we have to say, we have to believe this. It's, I don't know how we're going to understand this at, at first introduction. But somehow Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still alive to God. They still live to God. Or you might say God lives to them depending on your viewpoint. Jehovah is therefore the God of the living. He's not the God of the dead at all. He's not the dead of... <sighs> this is what Jesus says. But this is what the angels said in the tomb. When the women came and uh, they were looking for the body of Jesus and saw the stone had been rolled away, they go in and the messengers you know, were there and they said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? <laughs> the same notion. Jesus is resurrected. The Sadducees had some, some assumptions. We call them prepositions, or presuppositions, rather, in, in theology. Um, and I already mentioned the way that they understood the Scripture as being quite literal. Quite literal will, will lead you to some, yes, some hard, hard errors. If you take the Old Testament, and quite literally, many things are literally fulfilled. Some things were very symbolic. Uh, that's another huge exercise in how we understand the scriptures. But the Sadducees' presuppositions and their hermeneutic were sufficiently wrong. And therefore, when you start off on the wrong foot, it's tough to dance the tango. I, I, you're, going, you're not going to succeed. They started off on a wrong foundation no matter how much clever and true wit you apply by the way of logic after that, you're still lost. The Sadducees are also wrong to extrapolate human conditions now, temporal matters now, the world as it exists now, as fallen from those in the new heavens and new earth at the, re at the resurrection. In the coming back of the Lord Jesus, all things will be new. The trumpet will sound, the dead will rise, the dead in Christ first. Uh, all bodies will rise. Well, I'll get to that in a minute. A and then uh, begins a new order uh, that uh, is, uh, will even far exceed the beauty of our original paradise. They were wrong to extrapolate. extrapolate. Tomorrow will not be uh, the same as today, only more so. That's, uh, that's, the, that's the thinking, that's the mindset of the wicked who are drinking their abundant of wine, although their lives were filled with idolatry, they thought they, thought they had the blessing of God because there was peace in the land and their vineyards were yielding and they had plenty of produce and wine. You can read it in Isaiah 56 and verse 12. The error of the wicked is that tomorrow will be the same as today, only more so. That's an absurd presentation. That's a new... New American Standard Bible translation, which I, I prefer in that verse. 
Of all the Jews, then, they were the most, most earthly minded. And unfortunately for them, Jesus is, is introducing a kingdom that he confesses before Pilate that is not of this world. All right, we've got a clash here. We've got some people looking forward to something, and Jesus is going in another direction. Right, well, let me just say, Jesus, for the most part, as the gospel will be, uh, will be preached to the nations, will have uh, a, certain, a certain period in heaven where souls will be with the Lord, awaiting the resurrection. But until that day, but excuse me, that after that day, the majority of all eternity will be, will be consummated and will abide in, in a new heaven and new earth, which is a recreation of all things. And that they couldn't, they couldn't understand. They, they, they could not, they were not contemplating. Their minds were not given to that kind of conversation. The renewal of all things. Uh, as, as, as Peter says, the times of refreshing. That's another way to look at the new heavens and the new earth. It's a great power on reset, as we would probably say it in engineering in old IBM days. Again, Jesus again is, is, is affirming what he concluded with the Pharisees, that the stone that was rejected would be exalted as the chief stone. That could only have been if that, that stone that was rejected and killed and bloodied and tortured was somehow vindicated and restored and then set in a position of chief dignity. That's the resurrection concerning the Christ. And if Christ is raised, well, then that's the only case that needs proving. There is a resurrection. Christ is, Christ is resurrected. That'll prove that'll, That'll suffice for now because Christ is a man, and a man has been resurrected. Never mind the the remaining history about our union with Christ in the Spirit. Never mind all the other glorious teachings that we are in Christ, raised already, and are seated with Christ in heavenly places. But we, we rush ahead, of course. That's something that needs some explaining. Jesus defends and affirms the resurrection and finds a root cause in this in this heresy. And Jesus diagnosed the root cause, and here. Not only is a root cause harming these people uh, personally, it's a root cause that is harming these people as a sect, as a branch of Judaism. And in other words, this is schism and heresy. Heresy is bad, but when heresy gets organized, it, it presents a schism in the body of God, in the body of Christ. And that's pernicious, and it's a very bad witness to the nations. As if God spoke to his people in confusion. As if, they, as if they had a heavenly father who could only babble. And that's, of course, babble is what happens in Babylon when the nations get confused. And God is not a God of confusion, disorder, or anything of the like. Jesus diagnoses the root cause then. They did not, they did not understand the scriptures. That is to say, oh, they read the scriptures. Oh, oh, they could recite the scriptures. Every, every proof text that I'm going to pr- uh, uh, bring up here about the resurrection, they knew and they could recite from memory. Maybe some of you can as well. But they would do so without understanding. They couldn't put the dots together. They, they, bring, they didn't bring it together wholesomely. The resurrection indeed was taught in the Old Testament. And, and you know, and Jesus is not really teaching anything new. Do you, uh, do you realize that the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ 
is the faith of the prophets of old and Moses. This is not something completely radically new. And the people, that Christians today even talk that way, but it's because they don't know the Old Testament. Oh no, they read the Old Testament. Oh yeah, they, try, they know some things about the Old Testament, but they haven't connected the dots either. And that's why I'm making this with some stress. The resurrection was taught in the Old Testament, but it's arrived at through Scripture in the, in the, by the illumination of the Holy Spirit with careful thought, with some meditation, and keeping in mind necessary consequences of what you're reading. You're reading between the line. You have a major and a minor proposition. If they're tight, if they're biblical, then the, the conclusion is also the Word of God. Now, that says a lot about how God helps His people think through things, the illumination of the Holy Spirit. It also has much to say about how, how God has placed dignity in man, giving him true thought and, tr- and reasonable powers, a, a, a reasonable mind. And we have the mind of Christ in the Spirit, in the Word, when we have it right. Here are some of the various scriptures that will prove my point. A, a, a beautiful one you can turn to is Job 19. I, I, just, I just love this. Job is in a, a real mess. He's suffering. Where does he take consolation? He doesn't know yet at all whether his fortunes are going to be restored, if his children are going to, you know. All he knows is he's in a lot of pain. He's in a world of pain. Job 19, verse 25 through 27. I know that my Redeemer lives. Wow. Job is probably one of the oldest Old Testament books. One of the first ever written. And here, Job, suffering Job, says, I know that my my Redeemer lives. And at the last, at the last day, as Martha was confessing, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another. It takes your breath away. The faith of that man, having no other scriptures, just the oracles and godly parents and perhaps a godly uncle here and there who taught him the ways of the Lord. Psalm 16, we sang, didn't we? Verse 10, For you will not abandon my soul to hell or in the ESV, to Sheol. You will not abandon my soul to hell or let your Holy One see corruption. Your Holy One see corruption. Jesus' body, no, he was interred three days, but no, his body didn't stinketh, as it says in the King James Version. Is that body going to stinketh? No. There's no corruption. He's not going to see, he's not going to have his Holy One see corruption. Psalm again, in the mouth of every worshiper, every Jew in the synagogue, every Sabbath, would be singing psalms, and they would perennially sing Psalm 16. They knew this, or they should have known it. They didn't understand it. Psalm 71, 20, and 21. You have made me see many troubles and calamities, yet you will revive me again. From the depths of the earth you will bring me up. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. Boy, does that ever ever apply to Jesus? But you know, us too, in Jesus, we will receive the the same comfort. 
the same dignity of honor by the way of resurrection. Finally, Psalm 118, verse 17 and 18. I shall not die, but live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, severely, showing that he is truly, the psalmist here is truly a son of David, the, the Davidic covenant uh, main feature that his sons will never be discarded, never be condemned, but that if they err, there will be disciplined. And here in the spirit, the psalmist says, the Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. People would sing that perennially in the synagogues, even, even as people were dying. They would hope against hope as Abraham. And that's the, that's the faith of Abraham, my friends, in the Old Testament. The Sadducees did not know and understand the teaching, so therefore they did not experience anything of it. And they did not ascribe and experience the power of God in their lives. That's the second the root point. The, root, the first root cause of their misapprehension and, and, her, and heresy is that they didn't know the Scriptures. The second one, they had no idea. They had no idea what God means. God means infinite authority, infinite power. The resurrection is a greater power, my friends, than even God's speaking all things by the word of his power in the space of six days and all very good. The initial creation. The resurrection is a demonstration of the power of God, not for creation, but for the recreation, for creating uh, something pristine and good and holy from a mess. It's one thing to create light. It's another thing to bring light out of darkness. And physically that was done in the first creation. But morally, morally it's done in the recreation. The resurrection then is really a feature of all material things. That is to say, uh, even of the God, the ungodly. The ungodly will be resurrected, and the ungodly will be resurrected even in that same day where Jesus indicates uh, that day will come, and and that day uh, he will be judging uh, all mankind and even angels. Uh, The saints will judge angels. They will be helping the Lord, uh, somehow assisting the Lord in in judgment that day. Another, Another sermon. The resurrection will be shown to be God's power, and lordship over all creation, his majesty extends to even the unregenerate, ungodly, uh, uh, wicked. Now, the wicked don't want to be resurrected. The wicked souls are in torment in hell. But at the last trump, their, their souls will be reunited with your bodies, and not for any good. At that, they will anticipate that union to be even more trouble because there they, they apprehend spiritual torments in hell. But upon reconstruction, at the last day in the resurrection, they will feel their pains in their body, and they have never felt the wrath of God in this way. Not, not in the way that they will feel it in hell. No. The wicked will be raised. But we want more to speak about the promise and the hope of Israel. And so we return to what will happen to the godly. This resurrection will be granted to all who believe in Jesus, who is the very resurrection and the life. The resurrection uh, is experienced today. You can taste something. It's, it's, it's a wee appetizer, but it's given to us as an encouragement. So the resurrection life is experienced in the life of every Christian, because every Christian partakes something of the goodness of the Holy Spirit in the new life, in the regeneration. 
in conversion. And so this is not just a theoretical or theological abstraction. This is something that's very practical. This is something that enables uh, even the young Christian. You know, John says to the young men, young, young men, look, uh, you're doing fine. You've, your faith has overcome the world. You've already overcome the world. And who overcomes the world but, but he who believes in the Lord Jesus? Why, why is he overcoming the world? Because a new world order has come in. A better and more godly one. An order of light and not darkness. The resurrection then is, is, a, is a known experience today. And it's a foretaste of heaven. And it is a great, uh, it's, a, it's a great foundation. The necessary foundation for all of our growth and holiness and sanctification. And it also is the very reason why we're sanctified. We're sanctified now and kept positionally in Christ, and nothing can harm that, but in actuality and in experience and in time, we are also sanctified truly as we're growing in grace and partaking more and more of the divine life. So the, the, the power of the law be perfect is still materially before us. My friends, are you, are you consistent in your study of Scripture? I'm not saying that you should read it. I'm not, I'm, you know, we need to be paying attention to anything, everything that, that we present in the order of worship, you'll see there's a theme here. There's a, there's a theme here about the wisdom of God and the power of God. And that, that's reflected in the hymns and in the readings and hopefully in this sermon. But on your own, are you rehearsing these things? Uh, do you remember anything you hear here? Do you take your bulletins home and rehearse the, the scriptures? Look, look, the worship hour is the hour of power. You've got to understand that Sunday is the market day of the soul and God works more intensely in this, uh, in this congregation upon a, uh, an order of worship than he does anywhere else. And so you might go to every number of books and any number of teachings, but if you're not taking the gleanings from this instruction and this hour, then my friends, you are impoverishing yourself. You, well, you, you know, you're not hurting God by it, you're hurting yourself. You're hurting yourself. And you need to study. You need to study where the ch- what the church is is. Uh, is going through uh, the lesson series of Matthew and other places. You need to study on your own to know how all this is consistent with the rest, the body of the scriptures. Read it, yes, but study it. Meditate. Cogitate. Ask hard questions. I had a good question presented to me by a teenager in my study this morning. It had to do with uh, an apparent gloss in the scripture. Some people don't wake up and ask those kinds of questions until they're in seminary. That's a good question. We need to ask questions. Do you seek to understand? The Word of God is not, is not the Word that is, is sounded in your eardrums. That percussion there of some frequency of sound is nice, but that's not the power of God. The power of God is in the Word understood. And any scripture that, that you leave behind, especially a cardinal scripture, you do not understand is to your, it's to your harm. You need to know all these things. You need to know the full counsel of God. Jesus says, teaching them everything, teaching them all things that I have delivered unto you. And lo, I am with you always. If he's with us always, he's our help. He's going to help us understand the whole of the scriptures. And the reason, my friends, that you you balk at this uh, is that you don't understand, really. You have not come to terms with the power of God. Say, Lou, I'm not like you, pastor. And when you tell me that you need to be studying and reading, 
I, I just am not inclined. Well, have you asked God to make you inclined to love His Word? Don't you know that God can take your heart that is so laden with, with the love of the world, the love of the flesh, and He can change you. But you need to ask Him. Ordinarily. Sometimes He just, he just says, look, I, man, I, I, need, I need to rescue you. And he, take, and he, he just he makes you lie down in green pastures. So you, all you see is blue sky. And he, you're going to spend some time with Him. And you're going you're to learn how to listen to Him. He'll get, it one, he'll get it one way or the other. He will get his glory one way or the other. Don't reduce God's power in your mind. Oh, my, my will is weak. God can enhance and fortify your will. My, my mind is not. The Lord can have you memorize Psalm 119 if he wants to. He, if he's promised it in Scripture, he will help you. And he will do all his holy will using every means, even working against means. Now, the third point, that would be, now I'm beyond the outline here. It's taking a little bit longer. I want to, I want to look, look at the, the last thing, the reaction in verse 33. When the crowd heard Jesus teaching here, they, they were just amazed. When the crowd heard it, they were astonished. They, they were astonished at his teaching because Jesus' wisdom and knowledge, knowledge is of Scripture is astonishing. Jesus is not going to teach you about uh, planetary science or uh, of quasar theory or the black hole. He's not, he, the topic he's interested in is the revelation of God. And that should be the, the main topic that every Jew is interested in and was a good pious Jew was interested in. And so his knowledge of Scripture was astounding and the, and the application of that knowledge is astounding. And that's where you know where a person knows because you ask yourself, what is this person doing with what he knows? Does he love it? Does he use it? Is he zealous for it? Will he protect it? Will he tell other people? Will he keep it pure? Or are you a minimalist? Oh, you know, we're Calvinists. As long as we believe we're saved. And say, ah. This is not a minimalist Lord that we serve. He's a fulsome teacher, and his spirit leads us to a fulsome Christianity. It's astonishing, the wisdom, because, of course, Jesus is the prophet, the prophet anticipated, anticipated and prophesied by Moses in Deuteronomy 18 and 18. The crowd sensed this. The, the, the uninformed, uneducated crowd sensed this about Jesus. And they were more objective because the, the problem is if we commit ourselves to certain platitudes, certain presuppositions, a certain tech, a sect of Christianity, it, it, it binds us, it fetters us. It's very difficult to get under a, a, a false construction of Christianity. Hardly believable that there's an, any, other, any other possible theological answer. And of course, the obstinate religious leaders uh, ignored it. They, 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 they would ignore this. This is utter shame. Where children and infants recite the praise of Jesus riding into Jerusalem, heralding him as the king, and the, and the religious leaders saying, what is wrong with you people? What is wrong with this man who's allowing these kids? These kids are, sh are screaming out hallelujahs. Isn't this blasphemy? Obstinate, obstinate, shame. You know, shame is a, 
for the Christian, shame is a foretaste of discipline. If the Lord rebukes you in his word, if you're rebuked in public by a friend or, or by an elder or another Christian, you take that as a warning. Shame is, is, a, is a foretaste of, of discipline from the Lord. But to the unregenerate, shame is a, is a foretaste of God's judgment. Because that's just as Jesus hung naked on the cross in the most shameful way. He represented our shame under the wrath of God, under the wrath of God. And so, my friends, we need to repent when we're wrong, dead wrong, about our presuppositions, about the way we handle the science of our understanding of how we are to treat Scripture. We need to repent. We need to admit that we're wrong. We need to change from proud people to meek people. We need to become as babes. Otherwise, we will no, by no means enter the he- We will by no means enter heaven if we are proud Sadducees. Mm-hmm. Foolish, proud, in a word, lost, lost. Jesus' wisdom and knowledge is, of Scripture is, ast- is astonishing. He, he is... He is the prophet. He is our sure light. He is the way and the truth and the life. Let me bring this to a conclusion. Ignorance of the scriptures combined with a lack of faith and the power of God will have even God's covenant people overlooking basic biblical truth such as the resurrection from the dead. My friends, error leads to weakness, to joylessness, to the Lord's chastening if you're a Christian. Error leads to division in the home. Error leads to division in the church. Strive to believe rightly, or you will hurt yourself. And the Lord, you'll feel, you'll, you will sense the Lord's displeasure. The church is to be a seamless garment in the bond of the unity of the Holy Spirit. You introduce error, you wreck that unity. You spoil Jesus' garment. You are to study all of Scripture. I know you, you, know, you probably might present a strong case. I, I hate the book of Obadiah. Well, uh, uh, no, give, it, give, it a better, give it another shot, okay? Study all of Scripture. Do you have a reading plan? Do you have a study? Do you have a study plan? Do you, do, you have, do you have Bible study resources? Do you, you have a dictionary? A lexicon? Do you have maps? You have, you have one or two good commentaries? Right, those are the tools. But most importantly is you need prayer. You need faith. And if Jesus is your master teacher, you, you, will, you will be led forth in these things. So you pray in his name. And you ask him for the understanding. And ask him for for the grace to apply these understandings skillfully in wisdom. My friends, let me just show you something. If you skim Exodus 3, verse 6, you're going to miss the the beauty of it. But if you pause and you meditate it and you contemplate, you'll see that even Jehovah's name, I am, a single noun, or even in the verb form, to be. A verb can be communicate essential doctrine. 
I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How can that simple, simple statement be so critical and convey so much? And yet it does. That's why we study. And that's why, well, you know, one of the great reasons to read Hebrew is it'll slow you down because you don't know Hebrew and you have to look up everything. And when you look up, you learn. It's a slow reading and we need to learn how to read slowly. Patience is required of all of us. We have to be patient with people that will understand less. We have to encourage them. We have to point them in the, wrong, in the right direction. We have, to, we have to give them the resources. Our elders will be doing that in terms of helping our families, you know, with family worship. Uh, but but we, all, we are not all there. None of, not, not one of us has already reached manhood or, or the maturity in Christ. And so until all, until all of God's elect reach full manhood in Christ... We have to be patient with one another. So don't be hasty to leave a church. Don't be hasty to cause schism by the injection of a doctrine. If you're serious that this doctrine is right, argue it before the church. Argue it before the courts of, of, of the Presbyterian Church in America. I'm sure there's somebody somewhere that you can bring in as a, as a theologian to give you some assistance. But argue it. Be a man. Be a lion. If truth is that important, you argue the case. But if it's not that important, then leave the church alone. Don't split it. There's no other choice. Either be a man or be a coward. Much comfort then here in the, the doctrine of the resurrection. To know that something as familiar as your own body is going to be with you forever, but improved, free of pain, free of Free of aging, finally, free of every weakness. That, that, is, that is something that is so comfortable that, that the Lord will remember you. Even in your grave, your body is united to Christ in the Holy Spirit, awaiting the resurrection. What a comfort. We inter our dead, but the Lord Jesus is with them. And I don't mean just as he's omnipresent, no. By union in the Holy Spirit. They still are in. That dead body of the Christian is not really dead as we would classify deadness because that dead body awaits as a seed, as a, as a corn a niblet a, a, a waits for springtime to sprout. That's what that body is doing in the grave. So comfort yourself. Apply, apply this teaching of the resurrection to yourself. Now, my friends, do you believe in the resurrection? Then you need to be a witness to the resurrection. And the best way to do that is to witness to Jesus' resurrection. A lot of people, you know, I, I go to my friends all, all throughout various places, and they, they love to tell me that they believe in a life, an afterlife, and, and they'll be somehow reincarnated. Oh, you know, I ask them for some kind of authority that would prove that this, and they don't have any. But they'll, they'll tell people. The way the Christians announce the resurrection is by leading the resurrected life. Newness of life. Love, joy, peace in every trial. Loving your enemies. Forgiving those who trespass against you. Walking the extra mile. Being charitable. Your conversation being heavenly. You, you, you have a communion with God and Father and Holy Spirit. You have communion and true fellowship and love with the saints who hold the same precious truths. You encourage the saints. You love the life. You love, you love the Psalms. You'll sing 
these hymns that no other church, apparently, why are the churches not singing psalms for crying out loud? We're, we're remiss, and we're going to start missing things like the resurrection. Psalm 16, Psalm 118, Psalm 71. Are you a witness to Christ's generation, uh, to the resurrection? Walk, pray, sing in newness of life. And that's all, all there for you. How, how, how? That's not, that's not me. Christ can make it you. The gospel, the gospel receives sinners. And God receives you fully as you are. And he will pardon and he will receive you in his bosom and he loves you and he will forgive you your sins and give you everlasting life. But then he places the spirit in you. And that spirit will cause you to walk in newness of life. The two go together. So believe in the Lord Jesus in all of his fullness. He's your prophet. He's your priest who died for you and resurrected. And he's your king now. So believe in that Jesus and receive him as he is. And then by his spirit, by faith, walk in newness of life. That's the word of God for you today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your scriptures and we thank you for our mighty, wise and powerful God and upholding a most comforting, a most comforting doctrine. We pray, Lord, as we have heard your word, that it would abide in us, that we would bring, Lord, the necessary fruit, the seed of Christ in us, may it produce all manner of bountiful fruit, which you seek in your vineyard. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's have an offering, please. before you. You are the king of all things. You yourself own all things. So we give you back only what is yours. But we also add, Lord, our thanksgiving, our grateful hearts, and our worship. We give you the first of our strength. We pray that you would bless it. Pray that you would sustain our church. We have various trials, and we, we Lord, uh, are in difficult days. Your church, uh, your church is under pressure in so many ways. And we feel it here sometimes. So bless and sustain not just this church, but through our charity, other churches, the poor in our neighborhoods, and 
uh, every other thing that uh, carries the banner of Christ through such funds. And bless the giver as well, Lord. In Christ we pray, amen. Let's sing our last anthem. It's uh, the day of resurrection, number 267. In your of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with you forever. Amen.